Good morning. Good morning. How are you? It is Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. Uh, January comes to an end. If you're doing the whole dry January thing, you'll be probably happy today because if you fancy a pint or something a bit stronger tomorrow, well, you're only a few hours away. Now, are you not? number of cynics were in touch with me in recent weeks. When I say a number, one or two, like proper cynics. Uh, this dry January thing is uh, predictive programming, uh, reaching, uh, and all this nonsense. Listen, um, whatever about the media and dry January, people, particularly Irish people, for decades have uh, decided to give the alcohol a break over January. It, it, it's not, you know, something that was developed by corporations or by the media. Irish people, in particular Irish people, who like a drink, have been abstaining for the month of January for a very long time, in, 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 in my experience in any case. So if you've been doing it, you might be looking forward to a couple of beers tomorrow. But if you've gone the, the, the entire month of January, as I have myself, I, I did have a couple of beers on Sunday. I went out on Sunday night, just gone. But um, for, for, for every other um, part of January, for, for, for the rest of the month, I've not touched it. And feel quite good about it, to be honest. So, um, yeah. Anyway, enough of that old jazz. Let's jump straight into the front pages of the papers. The Financial Times, IMF warns Hunt against tax cuts in spring budget. The International Monetary Fund is warning the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer that borrowing must be curbed and spending must be boosted in key areas rather than tax breaks in budget giveaways. That's the Financial Times. The Financial Times also, on the front page, and pretty much every paper today, is running a story about net migration in the UK. We'll come to it shortly. As The Guardian leads with, State of NHS should be declared national emergency, experts say. We'll look at that more closely in a few minutes. The Sun, Robbie bid to buy Port Vale, is the headline. And it features the front page of photograph of Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams, the pop star, is sizing up a shock bid to buy his beloved Port Vale football club, that's according to The Sun. He was named the president of Port Vale at the weekend, and The Sun says Williams is eyeing a potential Wrexham-style TV deal too. Like um, your man McElhenney and your man the actor, the actor Ryan Reynolds, that's the guy, who uh, bought Wrexham, and it's all gone very well for Wrexham, since then, the Daily Mirror, where's the money, is the headline front page of the Mirror. And this is about the PPE scandal and Baroness Michelle Moan. Her husband, Doug Barrowman, is photographed on the front page of the Daily Mirror. He arrived at Spanish court yesterday facing claims. He took part in a £5.5 million corporate tax evasion scam. That is the Mirror. The Times leads with little room for big tax cuts, Hunt tells Tories. So following on from the International Monetary Fund, telling Jeremy Hunt you can't give tax breaks, not now, Hunt has gone, according to the Times, to tell his party oh, we can't give tax breaks now because the IMF has said it's not the right thing to do. As the Daily Mail, Bashir, I was a victim of racism inside the BBC, is the front page story. Bashir, a victim of racism. So this is about Martin Bashir. The 
BBC employee at the time who secured the infamous interview with Princess Diana. This is back in 1995. Thousands of emails have been released by the BBC and they show him blaming the scandal surrounding his interview with Diana on jealousy from colleagues and racism. Uh, the Beeb has released about 3,000 internal emails relating to this interview, which uh, featured on Panorama, as I said, back in 95. The BBC says, we didn't act in bad faith at all. Uh, as I said, Bashir is claiming that the fallout from this interview was motivated by jealousy and racism. The I headline, Cameron didn't clear two-state solution speech with number 10. This is interesting. David Cameron, Lord Cameron these days, brought out of oblivion, brought out of obscurity to front bench politics again. Uh, to uh, He's the UK Foreign Secretary now. He suggested, didn't he, that the UK would consider recognising a Palestinian state and that this could happen at the United Nations. The I paper claims Downing Street didn't know about his speech in advance. That's the I paper. The Daily Telegraph lead story is Navy ready to send carrier to Red Sea. This is the HMS Queen Elizabeth or HMS uh, Prince of Wales. So two huge aircraft carriers might be heading for the Red Sea to deal with Houthi attacks on shipping in the area. That is according to the Telegraph. And the iPaper, Dawn of the Cyborg, is the headline. And this is about Elon Musk's company Neuralink and the announcement on Monday night that it had successfully placed a brain chip on a human volunteer. So that's the front page of the Metro. The paper is reflecting on this news and wondering how far could it go. The paper talks about a Black Mirror-style nightmare in the future, transhumanism. And the Daily Star, same story, Rise of the Cyborgs is the front page headline. The Daily Express, migration rules will halt, shock, population rise. So the Home Secretary is James Cleverly, and he has outlined the government uh, is committed to cutting back on UK migration as new figures from the Office for National Statistics uh, suggest that the population of the UK is going to rise starkly in the next couple of years and could be as high as 74 million in 2036. Now we will come back to that in a moment as we go inside the newspapers. This is the papers for Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. My name is Richie Allen. So let's go inside the Daily Mail. The migration story. Migrants will account for 92% of the UK's population boom in the coming years as numbers are set to grow by five Birminghams. Okay. This is about birth rates as much as it is about the increase in the population overall and the fact that migrants will be reproducing much, much more quickly than native people in, in the coming years. So whatever the population increase is, however it grows, it will migrants will account for 92% of it, according to the Daily Mail today, which says that the Prime Minister, Sunak, faces mounting pressure as it emerged that migrants will account for 92% of Britain's population explosion, explosion in the coming years. Data from the ONS, the Office for National Statistics, 
indicates that higher than expected immigration figures are said to see the numbers living in the UK, that's the UK population overall, grow by 6.6 million to 73.7 million by 2036. So 67.9 million is the population now. They reckon it'll be 73.7 million in 12 years' time. Net migration will hit 315,000 a year from 2028 onwards, putting a strain on public services. While the population is projected to rise from the current estimated 67 million to more than 70 million by mid-2026, the ONS figures show a further increase to 73.7 million by the middle of the next decade. The 9.9% hike includes net inward migration of 6.1 million, as well as 541,000 more births than deaths. Now, the critics last night, according to the Mail, likened the population increase to five cities the size of Birmingham. And I reckon, so you know that this year is a general election year here in the UK, it's an election year, this particular subject will dominate, uh, I, I reckon, this particular topic, this particular issue will dominate above all others, I reckon. I mean, obviously, they'll talk a lot about the financial crisis in the lead-in to the general election, whenever it does happen. But immigration is going to be huge this cycle, no doubt about that, this election cycle. Same story, slightly different approach to it. The Times has a story, headline, France to start using drones to patrol the channel. So France has agreed to the regular use of drones to monitor migrants attempting to cross the channel. Now, I, I have no idea how monitoring people getting into dinghies, people who have paid criminal gangs to put them in these dinghies, how monitoring them from the air will make any difference. But according to the Times, Westminster officials believe the move could be a game changer in efforts to tackle people smuggling gangs that operate small boat crossings. The paper says that James Cleverly, the aforementioned Home Secretary, met Gérald Darmanin, the French Interior Minister in Paris, as part of their efforts to build closer ties on security measures along the French coast. And the Times says that legal constraints have prevented the French authorities deploying aerial surveillance of its coastline since the small boat crisis began in 2018. The UK has been deploying £400,000 state-of-the-art drones over the channel, but not over French land. So drones monitoring the activity of criminal gangs putting migrants into small boats might be a game-changer, if you believe the government and the Home Secretary James cleverly, but I can't see how it will be a game-changer. I mean, if all the drones are going to do is monitor the activity, not do anything about it, well, it's hardly likely that it's going to make a big difference. And on migration, here's a story in The Sun, which is a Conservative Party-supporting newspaper. It's a story about Labour. Homes snub. Labour-led town halls favouring foreign nationals for social housing over Brits reveals data. So this is real, well, I mean, this is what you'd expect from the Sun or the Daily Mail. Again, you're going to have a lot of this in the run into the general election, right? I'm not saying it isn't true now. In fact, I think it probably is true. But context is a really important thing. And you don't get it in the mainstream media. 
And by context, the Daily, uh, the, the, excuse me, the Sun newspaper will bash the Labour Party, saying that Labour is very soft on migration and immigration and all of that. And it might very well be, but it doesn't offer context to the readers. You know, in terms of, it doesn't delve deep down into the story to try and understand or help readers understand what is really going on. And that's what we do, I suppose, in the independent media, or at least that's what I do on the Richie Allen Show. But anyway, Holmes snub Labour-led town halls favouring foreign national for social housing over Brits, so it's very self-explanatory. It's claiming that local authorities, which are controlled by Labour, are taking care of foreign nationals at the expense of British people when it comes to housing. The Sun says 14 of the top 20 councils that let a higher proportion of their social homes to non-UK nationals are Labour-run. Five of them are run by the Conservatives and one is run by the Liberal Democrats. In the London borough of Brent, with a backlog of 28,000, 40% of new tenancies in the year 2021 to 2022 went to non-UK nationals. Now that's an interesting story and an interesting statistic. I lived in Brent for a time with my partner, the oft-mentioned Caroline. We lived there while I was working at a television project in the area, in Brent, back in the year 2013 to 2014. And it seemed to me that there were a lot of, that, that Brent seemed to be dominated by ethnic minorities. At least that's how I experienced it. So if Brent, that part of North London, um, has a higher proportion of non-nationals living in the area than what you might call British people, I suppose it stands to reason that more council houses are going to be let to non-nationals. Do you get what I'm saying there? In a, in a ham-fisted way as I do sometimes. But anyway, 28,000 people waiting for a house in Brent. 40% of new tenancies in 2021 to 2022 went to non-UK nationals. In Lambeth, 36,000 households waiting for an affordable house to rent. 21% of tenancies the same year went to foreigners. The Sun says Michael Gove, the levelling up secretary, um, pledges or has pledged to introduce a new rule that would see families with the closest ties to Britain and the closest ties to their local area first in the queue for a home um, in the next parliament. So vote for us, put us back into government, says Michael Gove, and we'll prioritise Brits when it comes to housing lists and and that. So believe what you like, I suppose. But they're not building homes in this country. They're not building homes. It is a fact. No government has built homes. Blair's government didn't build homes. Brown's very fleeting government didn't build homes. The Tories under Cameron, the Tories under Johnson, Theresa May, have not been building homes. While the country has been growing in population at the speed of light, they're not building homes. And do I need to tell you what sort of a boost to the economy you you would be you would be creating if you were to embark upon a genuine house building uh, um, splurge or spree if you were to decide right we're going to build a half a million new homes every year you know what that would do for the economy anyway let's leave that one there Telegraph. Pharmacy revolution will cut NHS waiting lists, says Sunak. So this is the Prime Minister promising a pharmacy revolution. 
because of waiting lists, because people are suffering very long waits to see a GP right across the country. He's written for The Telegraph, has Sunak, um, and he worked and helped out in his mother's pharmacy in Southampton when he was a younger man. Wants to give new powers to pharmacists, which would free up around 10 million GP appointments a year. So this will be announced from today. It's happening from today. In fact, it begins today. Patients can receive treatment for seven common conditions without actually needing to see a doctor. Thousands of pharmacists across England will be able to assess and treat patients for sinusitis, sore throat, earache, infected insects, infected insect bites, shingles and uncomplicated urinary tract infections. So they can treat all of these things without the need for a GP to be involved or without need for the GP to write a prescription. Women will also be able to get the contraceptive pill directly from pharmacists. It is hoped that by making these changes, GPs will be able to focus on patients with more serious conditions, ensuring they can see consultants more quickly. I have a huge problem with this. Here's the huge problem. Now, I could be talking through my sphincter. It's often the case. I'm prone to it sometimes. Sometimes more than other times. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. By taking a list of what you might call common and, you know, easily treatable conditions and saying, right, these conditions no longer, if you feel you've got one of these things, you no longer need to see your GP. You can go and see a pharmacist instead. And by doing that, we'll free up GPs to see more and more patients with more serious conditions. Here's the problem I have. How often is it that a GP will see somebody for something considered to be relatively benign, like sore throat or earache or shingles? How often? How often during that consultation will the GP realise there's something more serious going on with the patient? I would reckon that happens fairly regularly. Fairly regularly, somebody comes in, right, with something that maybe they could have treated at home. Maybe they could have taken an over-the-counter medicine for it. But they went to their GP. Maybe it's a slightly older person. Might need the company. Might need to get out. Goes to GP. GP sits down. What's wrong with you? Well, I have a bit of a sore throat. Has an investigation. Has a a consultancy. And the GP realises there's something else going on. The GP discovers something else during that visit. During that appointment. You get what I'm saying? Yeah? And that's where I would be concerned about it. I would also be concerned about... You, you take... You, you start to take conditions common ailments and say, right, no GP necessary. Doesn't that eventually open the door to AI doctors, artificial intelligence programs, consulting with people on smartphones and on laptops and on tablets like iPads and Samsungs and whatnot, doesn't it? Ultimately, you're opening that door, are you not? Especially as they are, you know, currently developing and producing artificial intelligence programs which can clinically diagnose people and also prescribe for people. Yeah, that's how I see it in any case. Let's leave that alone. The Guardian. Uh, This is the front page story from The Guardian today. Next government should declare NHS a national emergency. Experts warn. This is very serious, right? Uh, The NHS is in such a dire state, the next government should declare it a national emergency. Experts are warning 
as it emerged is that record numbers of patients are being denied timely cancer treatment. It is facing an existential threat because of years of underinvestment, serious staff shortages and the demands of the ageing population, according to a group of leading doctors and NHS leaders. Now, this has been published in the BMJ Medical Journal, right? A commission of so-called experts, doctors, consultants, oncologists, bean counters have all come together to, re- to produce this report. It has been published in the British Medical Journal and it says that basically the NHS itself is on life support. Okay, More than 200,000 people in England have not received potentially life-saving surgery, chemotherapy or radiotherapy within the supposed maximum 62-day wait. It is collapsing. Professor Pat Price, a leading NHS oncologist who helped analyse NHS cancer care data, said the UK was facing the deepest cancer crisis of her 30-year career treating cancer patients. This is interesting, isn't it, my friend? At a time when we are learning, didn't Angus Dalgleish, a renowned uh, oncologist, hasn't he said recently that he believes now that there is a definitive, there is an absolute link between COVID booster jabs and an increase in cancer rates in the UK. The jabs are contributing somehow to an increase in the rate of cancer detection. The, the, the jabs are giving people cancer. We've heard terms like turbo cancers. So cancers are going up and up and up and up and up. And the NHS cannot cope. People are not getting re- receiving tests that might catch this, these cancers early, leading to better outcomes for them. So it's in complete collapses at the NHS. And I would argue, and I've argued many a time over the many years I've been doing my radio show, that it's a deliberate thing. I mean, this is a multifaceted agenda, no doubt about that, at least in my opinion. There are multiple aspects to this agenda. But one of them, of course, is to lead to a complete transformation in the way that healthcare is delivered. Okay? It'll be increasingly delivered by, as I've already said, by non human. Um, ways, not the, the humans will be taken out of the, the, the equation, if you want to put it like that, as time goes on, as things develop, and it will be artificial intelligence, right? Diagnosing, treating, and prescribing um, for people. And ultimately, this will be, provided, will be provided by the private sector. This is opening the door for privatisation, for an eventual admission that the NHS is irreparable. Nothing can be done about it. Therefore, we need to involve the private sector more and more in providing the care. They will increasingly, I believe, uh, begin to talk about and eventually legislate for the idea that, well, the NHS was free at the point of use for everybody. Well, we can't do that anymore because we don't have the money. It's not possible, so we need to introduce the concept that some services in the NHS will need to be paid for. So all of this, like I said, it's multifaceted, this particular agenda. So of course they're collapsing the NHS. Look, I've said a thousand times over the years, in 1988, the NHS could provide 300,000 beds in the UK. There were 300,000 beds. In 2022, that number had fallen by more than half 
to 137,900. Now you think about that. The population of the UK in 1988 was 56.9 million. Today, it is 67.9 million. You don't have to be, you don't even need to get out the calculator. There are 11 million more people in the country today than there were in 1988, but less than half the hospital beds now compared to then. Right? Now, they will say, you know, well, Richie, you're not putting the context on those figures because better treatment methods and advances in healthcare mean that less people overall need to go to hospital. There is a modicum of truth in that, of course, but not so many less people needing to go to hospital. As people live longer, right, as, as the lifespan, life expectancy increases year on year, obviously you're going to need more beds. Right, because there are things that um, there 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 are illnesses, there are there are sicknesses, which 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 require hospitalisation, and um, I suppose more so for people maybe in their seventies, maybe in their eighties, maybe in their nineties. You get what I'm saying, right? So that's the Guardian lead story today. Next government should declare NHS a national emergency. What's inside the Telegraph? Anything interesting? Uh, Harvard produces whiny snowflakes as major donor as he withdraws funding. This is Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin gave $300 million to Harvard last year. And according to The Guardian, he's one in the latest, he's one of the latest donors to halt donations to Harvard because of the university's handling of anti-Semitism on campus after the October 7th Hamas attacks on Israel. You might have been following this. Harvard, according to The Telegraph, is still struggling to resolve tensions even after Claudine Gay, its former president, resigned this month amid an onslaught of criticism over her response to anti-Semitism as well as accusations of plagiarism in her scholarship. So Zionists in the UK, some of them wealthy Zionists, um, got their knickers in a twist about pro-Palestine protests on campuses around the United States, particularly the Ivy League campuses. Student bodies, traditionally, at least I can speak for the UK where I attended uni and Ireland where I attended uni, um, student bodies tend to be pro-Palestine and anti the occupation of Gaza. And Harvard was no different. And there was a huge reaction on 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 the on on Harvard campuses against the Israeli response to the Hamas attack of October seventh, and this didn't go down well with some Zionists, some of them wealthy donors who gave money to Harvard, and that's what that story is basically about. Um, it's ironic, really, that Ken Griffin says I'm withholding my money because I want Harvard to produce leaders and not whiny snowflakes. The irony, of course, being that the students of Harvard, or many of them, have exercised their right, their human right, and their First Amendment right to speak up and say, we don't agree with what's going on in Gaza. We believe it's a genocide. Guys like uh, Ken Griffin are not happy about it. There's, there's an irony. There's a contradiction there, you know. I want more leaders. I want people not to be whiny snowflakes. You're calling for... Um, the, the end of the genocide in, in Gaza is hardly, you know, is hardly the, 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 the behaviour or the conduct of a whiny snowflake. Very interesting story in the Express. 
F-18 fighter jets deployed after EasyJet passengers Taliban joke went horribly wrong. Jets were scrambled after a teenager sent a Snapchat message to a friend when he was on the way to the airport. He was on the way to London Gatwick and he was heading for Spain and he sent a Snapchat message which said, I'm on my way to blow up the plane. I'm a member of the Taliban. Right? But this didn't go down too well because when the plane was in the air, this message was discovered and the Spanish Air Force scrambled F-18 fighter jets to escort the aircraft to its destination. (laughs) The passenger was only 18. His name was Aditya Verma. Aditya Verma, Asian origin, obviously, um, found himself arrested and in court in Spain last week. Um, It's no laughing matter now because he's facing $125,000 in fines, euro, I believe, uh, for making a bomb threat. He's going to be handed the bill for scrambling the Spanish Defence Ministry's jets and also €24,000 in court fees. The poor bollocks. He sent a joke to a friend, scrambled jets, landed, arrested, bundled into a cell and told, might cost you now $125,000. And here's a story that many of the Richie Allen Show listeners were following because it was tweeted to me earlier this week and I retweeted it and had my tuppence worth. Uh, This is inside the mirror. A police force apologises for causing offence after a cop stopped Christian singer busking. You might have seen it. Gospel singer Harmony London had been performing gospel music to shoppers on London's Oxford Street. She was streaming it to her more than 300,000 subscribers on YouTube. But footage shared on social media showed Metropolitan Police Special Constable Maya Hadzabekova, I can't pronounce this woman's surname, presumably she's Polish, or her ethnic background, her background is Poland, Maya Hadzabekova, I believe, she stopped the young woman from performing, telling her, no miss, you're not allowed to sing church songs outside of church grounds, by the way. So Young Harmony argued with her. This was filmed, the heated discussion, and eventually the police officer stuck her tongue out at the camera, leaving social media commentators furious, according to the Mirror. The Metropolitan Police has apologised and said that the police officer, Maya Hadzapitakova, has been spoken to by her manager. Police apologises for causing offence after cops stopped Christian singer from busking. That is about all I have for you on the papers today, Wednesday. I never know what day of the week it is. Wednesday, January 31st. In the year 2024. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. Don't forget to join me live at 4 o'clock UK time for Wednesday's Richie Allen radio show. I'll see you there. Bye now.